Well, it is great to see you guys here this morning. Happy New Year. I hope you have your Bibles. If you do, uh, open them to Romans chapter 8. If you've got your iPhone or your, your iPad, you can uh, open up our app and go to our uh, sermon notes there. Uh, for some of you, uh, this might be a little new, but we have been in a series for several months now. We're working through the letter of uh, Romans, and, and Romans is, is written by a guy named Paul. Uh, he wrote this letter to the church that was in the city of Rome, and we've been going through every verse and every chapter uh, for the last several, several weeks, and uh, took a break for our mission series, and today we're going to be back in it. Uh, really, for the next few weeks, we're going to look specifically at chapter 8, because one of the the most pivotal chapters in the entire Bible, so much rich, awesome uh, truth that we're going to tackle, and I'm excited to teach it over the next few weeks. Then we've got a, a mission trip to Haiti, uh, so several of you guys are going with us to Haiti in the next few weeks, excited about that. Uh, when, when I return from that trip, we're going to start uh, the series, uh, The Call to Lead. Uh, that's where I'm going to talk about elders and deacons and those kinds of things, but also uh, we really want to touch on really what it's going to take our church to continue to move forward and conti- continue to grow uh, as the Lord has led us and directed us, and, and uh, really that takes leadership, and so we're going to really look at what leading uh, in your life spiritually is going to take, what it's going to look like, reflect on 2012, look at some, uh, some good things that have happened and whatnot, and, and uh, so excited about that. All of that's taking place at the same time uh, that our, our new worship facility will begin uh, renovations. That should happen this month. So, man, we are we're so many great things and so much excitement and stuff that's, that's, that's happening. My goal, my hope and prayer is that we're worshiping in that new sanctuary uh, on Easter. So uh, be praying about that. Hopefully all that stuff uh, works out for us. And um, as we do that, we've got so many classes. There's parenting classes. There's Bible studies happening throughout the week. Our, our uh, student ministry kicks, up, uh, kicks back off in the next week or so. And so a lot of great things, a lot of opportunities. One of the other things that's taken place in February that I'm super excited about is our marriage conference. Uh, we've not done one of those, and I know, I know, a lot of guys, you hear marriage conference, and you think of the, you know, the whole hokey, kind of weird, kind of just not done well uh, conference, and it's all, listen, this is going to be worth your time. It's the week after Valentine's Day. So guys, I've got a good gift for your wife right now. Just register for the conference. Give that to your wife. It's the best uh, weekend you will completely spend together. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have so much fun. Uh, one of the things that we're going to do is, is um, invite all the local police and fire departments in our community. Uh, there is a cost associated with the conference because of all the different things that we're going to do, um, material and whatnot. But for uh, local fire, fire department police, uh, we want to offer this to them for free. M- many of you guys may not know this, but uh, in that industry, uh, those who are working in those uh, departments, uh, some of the highest divorce rates in the country. And so uh, we want to offer that as, a, as just a gift to them. So if you know uh, police officers, fire department uh, folks, please invite them. We're going to have material for you guys to use to invite them next week, but uh, start getting the word out. That's the weekend after uh, Valentine's Day. I believe it's the 22nd and 23rd. It'll be a Friday night and a Saturday. Um, going to be awesome. So lots of great things uh, taking place. Really busy, but uh, God is blessing. Great things are about to happen. Uh, and it's the new year right? So 2013 is here. Hard to believe, isn't it? Every time it kind of hits, it's like, man, I can't believe this year is over. And every time we hit this season, uh, it seems like that, you know, marketers and commercials and everything is really gearing at this, this mentality of it's a new year and so you can have a new you. You know, you kind of see that all the time. 
all the gyms are given sales, you know, uh, all the workout equipment's on sale. And so it's like all of these kind of things are kind of working at this time. This, for the health industry, January is like the Super Bowl of, you know, get in shape. And so a lot of activity. And for us as, you know, when we hit the new year, I mean, it's just kind of a natural thing, I think, in our culture that we start thinking about, well, maybe this year is going to be different. You know, this year is kind of a fresh start, and so maybe I can do some things differently. And, and really, there's a lot of hope in the new year. We think, you know, some of the problems that we had, maybe we're not going to have this year. There's some goals that we set, maybe get on that diet, maybe, you know, work on, that, work on the old abs. You know, we're going to, you know, organize the garage. We're going to do some different things here this year, and some, some goals are going to be set, and we're going to try to accomplish those. And, and so this is the kind of year where we all really start to think about that, and, and there's a lot of hope in that. Uh, hope that we're going to eat better this year. We're going to get in shape this year. You know, all these different thoughts, whatever goal, whatever you really want to do, usually this is the time that we spend uh, thinking about that. So, so here's the problem. We're about to talk about a passage that talks about hope. And what we want to be careful of, because we all fall into this, at least I know I fall into this, is that if I get on the diet, if I get in shape, if I accomplish the goal, if the garage gets done, if the, if the house gets cleaned or whatever it is, um, if I've placed my hope in that certain thing, that, that if I do this or accomplish this, then emotionally I'm going to be happier or emotionally, you know, the pieces of my heart that have been broken are going to be put back together and, and things in life is just going to be uh, better if I do that then we're, we're failing and we're thinking in, in, with a wrong pattern. Because the only thing we can truly hope in in this life is Jesus Christ. And if we place our hope in any of these other things, like if I just get a better body or the house is nicer, ultimately it's going to be exciting for the first few weeks or months or whatever, but you've experienced this, it gets old. It never truly satisfies and so it's like the new car. The new car is cool for the first couple of months. And then after that, it's like, you know, the kids have destroyed it. And it's just a car. A to B is all you're really worried about by then. And, and that's really any, anything that we are experiencing in this life. It never truly satisfies. And so today, what we want to talk about and what I want to really share with you is, is some really good news. It's not going to be anything new for most of you, but it does make everything new in your life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So realistically, if we're thinking about 2013, we don't want a better version of the old you. You know, let's just improve. And this time of year, the self-help books and all that kind of thing, they're going to rise to the top of the best-selling list, aren't they? You know, because everybody wants the latest diet or the latest self-help book, the latest craze or whatever that's going to help us emotionally or whatever. But we don't need a better version of the old you. We need a new you, don't we? Jesus explains it. He says, when you, know, when you accept me, when you follow me, there's something called being born again. In other words, we are a brand new creation. And so with that new creation, when we accept Christ into our life, and here's what some of you need today, it's, it's, it's that faith in Christ, and by doing so, you get a new life. Not only a new life, but you get a new mind. God gives you new desires. He gives you a new destiny. I mean, it's a brand new life when you say yes to Jesus, because everything begins to change. And so today, when we look at you know, all these different ideas of, of what gives us hope in this world. Eat your vegetables, you know, go to the gym, do some crunches this year. Hope you 
You know, cut back on the cholesterol, do all of those things, okay? We want to be healthy. But at the end of the day, let's realize that our ultimate hope is only found in Jesus. And so this passage really points us to what it means to find real hope in the Lord. So let's look at it together. Chapter 8. Let's begin in verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay, well, let me begin to unpack this a little bit. And I first just kind of want to give an overall picture. What, what he's really trying to tell us here is not to throw in the towel. Okay, the whole passage here points us to having hope in Christ. And so in every area of our life, there is hope. And we'll, we'll begin to see this in just a moment. But, but overall, what it means is that he wants us to persevere in our faith. He wants us to continue in our faith and not throw away our hope when things get tough. Problems came up in 2012. There were a lot of issues, maybe sickness, maybe relational, a lot of issues in 2012. Guess what? 2013, going to happen again, maybe differently, different obstacles, different challenges. But at the end of the day, we know problems are going to exist. And so the whole goal here is, look, 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 don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. Continue to have your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what we know. We all know this because we've experienced it. When we begin to, to experience suffering, or, uh, and I'm not just talking about suffering you know, as a believer, like we're persecuted for our faith, because yeah, that happens, but, but suffering really, when he talks about it here in these hardships, is, is sickness, disease, it's, it's pains, it's financial problems, it's, it's any struggle you have, that, those types of things. And, and anytime those types of things begin to happen in our life, what we're tempted to do is to quickly throw in the towel and to give up on small group. You know what? We're busy. Things are happening. A lot of stuff. So we just aren't going to make it to small group this week. And then after a while, you, you're out. Or maybe it's church in general. Or maybe it's you know, another relationship that you know is a healthy, godly relationship that you give up on. And, and so whatever it is, we're just tempted. When the going gets tough, throw in the towel. You know, It's not working out. So when we see this passage, there's so much truth for us as it, re- as it relates to tough times. And so I want to start. Look, look at verse 20 because that really is a, a pivotal verse in this passage. He says, For creation was subjected to futility. Some translation um, just says frustration. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, Not willingly. In other words, we didn't say, hey, we want to sign up for suffering. Hey, we want to sign up for the curse of the fall of mankind. Hey, we want to die. We we don't sign up for that. We don't go into that running and jumping and screaming. But it says the reason is because of him 
who subjected it. Now the him that it's talking about is God. So what we want to understand when we look at this is that the frustration or the futility that we see in this world is a result of God's judgment. Okay? We have, we have Adam in the garden. He is told not to eat of the fruit of the tree. He eats of the fruit of the tree. And exactly what God said was going to happen happens. And, and, and not only does death enter, sin enters, the ground is cursed, women are now in pain in child rearing, all kinds of physical consequences of sin in the world. When mankind says no to God, rebels against God, there are consequences. And the consequences he speaks of here is this futility, this frustration in life. He uses the word groaning in the world. Why did this happen? Well, Romans 5.12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man was Adam, and death through sin, death entered the world because of sin, that's the result, the consequence, and so death spread to all men because we've all sinned. So we're all guilty. You can't just blame Adam and Eve. We are guilty because we've rebelled against our Creator. Now, why? Because God said this was going to happen. He said, here's the tree, don't eat of it. Have all this other stuff, don't eat of this one. But if you do, death is going to enter. And Adam chose to eat and death entered. And that was God's judicial or judgment to not only mankind, but also to the earth. The Bible says in Genesis 3, go home and read it this week. Great passage, helps you to put all of this passage in perspective, that he cursed the ground. Now there's labor, now there's thorns and there's thistles and there's all kinds of ramifications because sin enters the world. There is futility, a pointlessness to some things. And why does this happen? So we, we don't have answers to all of these things. There's a futility, there's a corruption, there's a groaning within our hearts that there's got to be something better, you know? There is a groaning, it says here, that, that even happens in creation. And this is God's judgment. So how do we handle this life? You know, we're trying to have hope. It's a new year, and look, it's kind of rainy outside, and it's January. We all kind of have the Christmas hangover, so we're all kind of like, uh. But listen, here's the hope that we have, that, that we don't just hope in the weather or circumstances, but it goes much deeper, because in this futility, in this frustration, in this sin that we have and experience in this world that we can't sometimes explain, we're faced with these struggles. 2013 is happening. Struggles are coming. What do we do? Well, here's a few things, at least four truths that I want to point out this morning that I hope that you will remember. And the first one is that our suffering doesn't compare to our future glory. Our, our, our suffering doesn't compare to our future. Now look again at verse 18, because he really puts it in perspective. He says, um, he says for I consider that suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, the best is yet to come. The suffering and the problems and the, and the difficulties of this world, the natural disasters that happen in this world. He says, it is nothing when you compare it to our future and the glory of the future that we have in Christ and with Christ. So here's what we do. I mean, think about your problems. Uh, let me just ask you a question. What, what do you compare your problems to? What do you compare your problems to? I mean, 
Let's be honest this morning. It's okay. We're in church. We can be honest. And, and sometimes when we have problems, what we like to do that makes us feel better is when we compare our problems to other people's problems. Doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it? You know, somebody else is having a problems, and then you start saying, well, at least we're not going through that. And, 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 and so we start thinking about that guy's problems and her problems. And when I think about theirs, then, you know, it kind of helps me put mine in perspective, and I kind of feel better about myself. Now, there's a couple of problems with that, at least. I want to point out two. First of all, if you're in the habit of comparing your problems to other people's problems, here's, here's what you're doing. First of all, you're, you're counting on other people's pain to make you feel better. I know. And when you say it like that, it's like there's just something really wrong with that. We just, that is not right to, to really, you know, want to hang out with so-and-so because they're going through a tough time and when they talk about their problems it makes you feel better about your life i mean that's just that's just wrong man we you know there's something really wrong when we are counting on other people's pain to make our hearts feel better here's the other thing that that's really messed up with that mentality if you're in the habit of comparing your problems is one day you're going to look around and you're not going to be able to find anybody with a problem that's worse than yours so it's like, what do you do on that day when you're looking around and it's like, man, my problem really is the worst. This is awful, you know. Think about how bad that's going to make you feel. So, I mean, realistically, that is not the answer when we have problems comparing ourselves to other people's problems. And by the way, it's, it's certainly, I believe, why we like certain movies, why we like certain TV shows, because on these TV shows or in the story that we watch, there's suffering and pain. And when we identify with that, and when we see other people go through that, it helps us to think, oh, well, my stuff is not so bad, and I can kind of forget about my stuff when, when I see this. And so, not that that's a negative or wrong thing, but... Here's what I want you to hear. It's not going to bring lasting peace in your heart. If that's your habit, you know, if my habit is, okay, I'm struggling, I'm, 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 it's a rough time, so I'm going to compare myself, and then I'm going to watch TV, kind of escape and get into that. Or for some of you guys, maybe it's video games. If I just go, then I can escape. But all of those things are temporary pleasers. Nothing like that is going to last. And put those pieces of your heart back together. Only Christ can do that. So he says, our suffering doesn't compare to our future glory with God. So here's what we do. When we're having problems, the only thing that's going to really truly make sense of that, the only thing that's going to really allow us to really experience any kind of hope or encouragement through that problem is not to compare it to other people. It's to compare it to the glory of God. Look at it again. It's not worth comparing with the glory is to be revealed. He says, don't compare to other people. Compare it to the glory of God. And when I compare my problems to the glory of God, listen, it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare because it's so awesome. It's so amazing. God's glory, when I put him in perspective, when I put my future in perspective, then I realize that, okay, yeah, this is a momentary problem. It's a, it's a momentary time of suffering, but when I put it into perspective, when I put it under the microscope of God's glory, then I realize, hey, the best is yet to come. This is just a momentary experience that you're facing today. It's a momentary life, isn't it? 
eternity stands before us. And when we can put that mentality and have that perspective, then we can begin to see our problems and our suffering in a completely different way. God's glory is the only thing big enough to put your problems into perspective. Not TV, not not just kind of escaping and not comparing your problems to other people. Secondly, so we want to understand that our suffering doesn't compare to our future. Secondly, what we need to remember is that creation itself is groaning with us. Now, this is kind of weird at first glance, isn't it? What creation is, is, is groaning. Verse 20, look at it again with me. He says this, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of God and of the children of God. So creation itself is groaning and kind of waiting and anticipating when even itself is going to be free. So it's not just humans, it's the earth, it is creation that God created for us that has been subjected to this futility And as a result, sin has messed up even creation. God himself subjected this. Again, Adam in the garden rebels against God, does what he wants to do in the beginning. And as a result, the earth is cursed, man is cursed. So at the very foundation, we like to call these things natural disasters. Hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, Hurricane Sandy just happened. All of these devastating earth, natural disasters. At the very core, this is not God's intention for his creation. So really at the core of natural disasters is that they're not natural at all. They're man-made. And they're man-made in the sense that because we rebelled against God and we chose to sin, sin has entered the world, the curse has entered the world, and God subjected as a consequence us and his creation to this futility, through this, this, this idea of groaning. So all of these natural disasters that we see, and sometimes we call it global warming, and it's our fault, and, and listen, I don't know, I don't care where you stand on that, I'm not, not appreciative for that. All I'm saying is, it is a part of the fall. It is not going to be cured, no matter what smart car you drive, Okay? The world has been subjected to futility, pointlessness. What is the point of a tornado? What is the point of an earthquake? And we see this devastation, and immediately, what are we doing? Oh, man. We groan. Inwardly, we groan. And that earthquake and those disasters, it is the earth groaning and waiting and desiring all things to be made new one day. It says even the earth, even creation is longing to to see the sons of God revealed. To have this hope that in Christ this bondage and this corruption would be made new and we would be in freedom forever. I I can hope in that. I can hope in that. Creation is groaning and it's waiting and it's looking, and it's, it's, it's uh, longing for this new day when Christ returns. Now, you've seen in this in the animal kingdom too, haven't you? I mean, you've, 
you've watched National Geographic like I have, and you've seen the lion, you know, he's in the, he's in the high grass, and, or she's in the high grass, whatever, and, you know, they're kind of stalking the gazelle, you know, and you're like, no, gazelle, run, don't go to the water, don't go to the water, you know? And if you're watching it with my son, he's like, go lion, kill him, rip his head off, you know? So we've got this tension in our house, you know, the girls are rooting for the gazelle, Bryson's rooting for the lion. So that's not how it was intended to be. That's not how God created the world. You see, that is, again, another sign of the fall of the world and how even creation has been subjected to sin and futility. The Bible actually tells us that in the new creation, in the heaven, in in eternity, that the lion will lay down with the lamb. That children can be hanging around all these deadly snakes and it's not going to be any problem. Because that's how God intended it to be. And earth, creation, today, is not how it is intended to be. We've all seen the ugliness of creation, but we've also seen the beauty of creation, haven't we? We see so many beautiful things. We see, you know, the mountains, the trees, all the nature and the oceans and how gorgeous and amazing the earth is. Just imagine for a second, if you can, how much more incredible the new creation will be. I can have some hope in that. Paul does another amazing thing here in the scripture. He compares this groaning of the, of the earth to uh, uh, labor and, and a woman being in labor. Look at verse 22. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So ladies, you, you can obviously relate to this better than we men can. But, you know, the process of being pregnant, the belly comes and there's some frustration there, you know. The frustration is I can't see my feet any longer, you know. The frustration, ladies, is when it gets uncomfortable, you, you can't sleep any longer, you know that. And then the actual labor pains come. And when the labor pains come, the belly is there, you know something is about to happen. Something great is about to happen. It is painful, and I don't, I mean, I've seen it four times. It looks really painful, but you know something good's about to happen, and Jesus even alludes to this. It's painful in the moment and at the beginning, but he says, look, after the woman has given birth, she forgets about the pain because the glory of this precious baby and gift has replaced that pain with joy and happiness. But it's in the labor pains of, oh man, something is happening here. I'm in pain. There's something good. I don't know. Something is about to happen. He says that's the same thing. The earth is groaning, earthquakes, disasters. You and I, when we groan, when we sigh, because we know there is something better, we know there must be something more. And he says it's just like childbirth. The earth is groaning. Something is about to happen. There is much joy ahead. In the future, this frustration that God placed upon creation, he says, was given in hope. And he says in verse 19 that we wait for it eagerly. In in other words, we're expecting it. We're eager about it. I mean, as Christians, are we excited that Jesus is coming back? I mean, we need to be excited about that. That he's making, he's going to make all things new. The Phillips uh, Bible, Phillips translation, translate this verse like this. It says, the whole creation is standing on tiptoe, eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. Standing on tiptoe. I love, you know, that image. Because when you're standing on your tiptoes, you're usually in a crowd and you're trying to see over people and you're trying to see what's coming. Something exciting is going on, something's happening, and you're up on your tiptoes and you're like wondering and looking and you're eagerly waiting and expecting something awesome to take place. 
That's the idea, being on your tiptoes. He says, I want you to eagerly await. This past week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, we took our kids ice skating. And so ice skating is always fun and, and always humbles me uh, when I get out there. And, and so we're having fun with the kids. And then, you know, the, the, the Zamboni thing is always fun too because that's the machine that comes out and smooths the ice over and makes it, makes it shiny again and, and real slippery. And, and so we have to get off and take, you know, take time to watch this thing. And all the kids are pumped. They're excited because this is a, you know, you, you don't see a Zamboni every day. And plus it's a fun word to say. Let's just be honest, okay? It's a fun word. And so our kids are sitting there and this machine comes out and they're like, oh, man, what is he doing? And so they're up and they're looking. And my youngest, Blakely, she's four. She's too short. She can't see. So she's sitting down. She's like, I can't see. I can't see. So we'll go up to the wall and look over the wall. So she goes up to the wall, and of course the wall is like this high, and Blakely is like that high, okay? Did you get that? It's about an inch or two difference there. And so what was cool is because I'm thinking and praying about this passage, and and then she gets over there, and she comes to the wall, and she stands on her tiptoes. It's the cutest little thing. She turns around and says, Daddy, I can see the Zamboni, (laughs) you know? And and she was just excited, and she's on her tiptoes, and she's looking over the wall. Why? Because she's eager. She's expecting something glorious to happen out there on the ice, and it's new, and it's special, and it's different. And and the idea for you and me is, listen, we ought to be on our tiptoes waiting for Jesus to come, waiting for Jesus, even today in 2013, to heal your marriage, Waiting for Jesus to expectantly and eagerly change who you are today. Whether it be a financial problem, whether it be a health issue, Jesus is making us new. He is preparing our hearts. He is restoring our hearts. And there is hope in that expectation posture. I'm on my toes. I want you to be on your toes. I want us to have that mentality and that attitude. And, 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 and it's so glorious our future with Christ. It's so glorious what 2013 could be. The best is yet to come. Eternity is so glorious. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear could hear or could understand how awesome it is going to be. So do your best to imagine how awesome it's going to be. And God says, you're not even close, but keep trying. Keep waiting. Be eager about it. Be excited about it. The third part that we need to remember today about suffering is that suffering is not the final state. In other words, we're not going to be suffering forever. In verse 23, again, he says, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and listen, the redemption of our bodies. So here is this this, this verse, there's a lot packed into this. He says, not only creation, but we ourselves, we're groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly to be for this adoption as sons, this redemption of our bodies. Now, we deal with this as Christian. There's the already but not yet tension. We're already saved, and yet we haven't truly experienced how glorious that salvation is going to be until we're with Jesus face to face, Right? We're already, as believers, we have been adopted as a son or a daughter of God. So we've already been doing that. That that happened at the moment of our conversion. But we've not yet fully understood what being a son and a daughter of Christ fully means. Because we're not with him ultimately. So there's this already and not yet tension when he talks about this. But he says that this, this idea of groaning inwardly, we are eagerly waiting for it. And he says, this is not the final state, this suffering. 
your problems. The final state is in glory, in eternity, where there is no problems, where there is no suffering, where there are no challenges, where it is exactly as it should be. That's why we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is done perfectly in heaven. And so when we are there, we finally embrace and experience what that perfect will looks like and feels like. This suffering is not our final state. Number four, and finally, this is kind of the whole sermon wrapped into one statement. We should hope and wait for the day when God makes all things new. This inward groaning that we have. Now listen, if you're married, you know what groaning sounds like. Just when you woke up this morning and you listened to your husband, it's like, ah, brr, ah, you know. <laughs> we know what the groan sounds like. Some of you hit the gym for the first time in 2013 this week, and the next day the lactic acid was there, and you're like, ah, brr, and, you know, and you're like walking you know, down the hallway like this, and everybody, what's wrong with you? you know? We know what groaning sounds like, but this groaning goes even deeper than that. I mean, when you think about it, we've groaned, and you might even call it a sigh. There's this sigh and inward deep groaning that takes place when we experience the suffering in this world. Maybe it's a disaster that takes place and people are killed. And our response is, oh man, that is just, why does that happen? When you first learned about the school shootings in in Connecticut, it was like, oh my gosh, how could that happen? And it's just this deep sigh. It's when one of your close friends and Maybe there's a couple and you used to hang out with them and now you learn that they're about to get a divorce and you're like, oh man, and it's just this deep groaning and sigh and this world is filled with a symphony of sighs because we are living in a fallen world. But praise God, this is not the final state and we wait eagerly for the return of Jesus when he makes all things new. When we see this word groan, it's usually associated with the second coming of Christ. So if you want to look this week, Mark 13 and Matthew chapter 24 use this same word. And it depicts this time of distress that will come before the end of the age. So these, these groans are not verbal most of the time. They're nonverbal. They're sighs. It's when we reveal this in our attitude. It's a sigh that there is something more There's something better. I'm frustrated with this world. I'm frustrated when I hear about school shootings and children die. I'm frustrated when I hear about, you know, people that I love going through disease and sickness. I'm frustrated when family members are upset with one another and they're at odds. I'm frustrated when I hear of of earthquakes and people dying and I'm like, God, when will this end? I mean, this is not how it should be. God is saying it is not how it should be. But trust me, one day it will be. One day he will make all things new. What's interesting about verses 23 and 25 is that it tells us to, to wait both eagerly and patiently. And so that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, when we think eagerly, that means I'm excited and I'm passionate and I'm looking and I'm expecting. I'm on my tiptoes, that idea. But I'm also patient. So I'm not overly, you know, kind of excited and be like crazy excited, like, you know, saying things that are weird and, and, you know, doing weird stuff. What I'm doing is I'm waiting and I'm expecting, but at the same time I'm patient because I'm trusting that God is going to do it in his timing. 
So listen, that's where we're at today. I mean, 2013, problems are here. Some things just aren't going to go away overnight. But he says, I want you, even now, ultimately all things healed. But even in 2013, healing can take place for you as you trust and put your faith in Christ and walk with him. And you, you be eager and passionate about that change that could take place this year. Because he wants it to take place in your life, in your heart, in your family. So we're eager about that. And we're eager about our kids coming to know Jesus. We're eager about them making good decisions, aren't we, parents? And when they make bad ones or when they do wrong things, it's like, oh man, oh, God just changed. And it's like he eagerly expect this change in God to intervene. And at the same time, I'm patient. And I want to breathe deeply and know that in his timing, not my timing, His healing takes place. This is not the final state. Suffering is not the end result. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 16. I want to close with this passage. A couple of verses here. If you don't have it, I think we'll have it on the screen. This is Jesus talking about how our sorrow will turn into joy. That this world brings sorrow, but that sorrow is brought into joy as we experience him in this world but then also ultimately in eternity says this in verse 20 jesus says truly truly i say to you you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy when a woman is giving birth she has sorrow because her hour has come but when she has delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Folks, if you're looking for hope in anybody or anything else than Jesus, there's going to be some some difficulties in your life in 2013. Our hope, our trust, our faith must point, must be found in Jesus Outside of him, outside of that relationship, more groaning, more sorrow, more struggle. But with him, now we have a better perspective of of problems and suffering in the world. No matter what 2013 has for you, I want to encourage those of you who have never received Christ into your life to do that today. It is the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. It's the first step in really, truly understanding what what God is and who God is. And and beginning that journey with Him is the greatest journey you'll ever be on. Some of you are just dealing with some struggles and dealing with different things. And and hopefully today you see that hope. You see that glimmer that that the best is yet to come. And we we trust and hope in that. And, And maybe today as we close and as we sing and as we worship, that you, you might just need to come and spend some time here in prayer at, at, the, uh, at the front and just, just really begin to spend that time with the Lord. Whatever it is, I want to pray and ask the band to, to get ready and, and let's just begin to hear even more from the Lord and respond to Him in worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise You and I thank You for, for who You are and that in this moment, Lord, In our lives, you truly are worthy of our praise. Father, you have taken us through difficulties. You've taken us through hard times. And all those things have led us closer to you if we've allowed them to. 
Father, we know that in this world we're going to face even more, but, but thankfully we praise you for your glory, that nothing we experience can be compared to our future and how glorious it's going to be. Nothing can be compared to your glory, and it puts everything in perspective. And Lord, it's challenging for us to think that way and to experience life in that way. And we want to pray for your guidance, that you would open up our mind and our heart to how glorious that really is, that you would, you would allow us to see our problems through your perspective and allow your grace to fill us. May we follow and trust you this year like never before. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.